Yeah. I'm fine, thank you. What intrigues you about the macabre and horror? What is it about that? Well, I think it just in and of itself, it's intriguing. I mean, you know, it's something that's ancient and uh, can be very threatening, can be uh, uh, revealing. Uh, it deals with our some of the most deepest uh, psychological uh, states. And, uh, you know, in the case of something like the Serpent and the Rainbow, it, it deals with uh, the whole matter of man's longing for a soul, longing for freedom, and the, uh, you know, some, some things that have been with mankind since the dawn of time. So it's primal. I think that's what I like about it. It's primal. In what respect? Well, it deals with, with very uh, undiluted emotions and states, you know, terror, rage, threat, uh, Beauty, unexpected beauty, escape, um, those sort of sort of things, you know, that are go back to uh, you know the foundations of our genes. Now you said that, that you wanted to tackle this project because it had that concept of reality sort of attached to it, and then you said about that, that there's a difference between horror and terror, and what what are the differences? I'm trying to um, understand that. To me, they mean the same. Yeah, it's it's a, it's. Uh, in a sense, uh, a constructed sense of the words. But what, what we mean is that horror generally is something that's more uh, fantastic um, or sometimes more pedestrian and gory, whereas uh, terror is, in the case of Serpent and the Rainbow and other films, for instance, The Exorcist, based more on established fact or at least uh, you know social conditions. Uh, involving adults, and not involving just a homicidal maniac, but involving some sort of psychic, spiritual level that is beyond typical horror film. So that's what we mean by it. You know, Serpent the Rainbow is based on astonishing, recently revealed scientific facts and on, a, on an astonishing little scene country, Haiti, uh, where we were managed, we, we were able to get into and, and film, uh, first time ever. Yeah, did you, um, what sort of experiences did you, did you have in Haiti? You name it. <laughs> I mean, we had everything from, uh, you know, meeting some of the most charming and lovely people you could ever want to meet and seeing some of the most beautiful things you could ever want to witness to uh, having actors see visions that were so terrifying they wanted to leave the country. Um, uh, um, well, it was... You know, if I, I could tell you, for instance, one an actor went through to a voodoo ceremony that was given in our benefit. He came outside to take a smoke, and as he was smoking, he looked around, and there was a cow between the shed that the ceremony was taking place in and another shed. We were what was he smoking? A cigarette, <laughs> a normal cigarette. And uh, he noticed that the cow had that seemed to have been painted with a luminescent paint. It was like glowing, a, a pale green. And he went over to look at it to see whether it had been painted or what, and the cow turned and looked at him and it had television sets for eyes. Now you're going to think I'm making this up, but, uh, and he could see the, the surface of the, of the planet Earth zooming, you know, as if the, the camera that was fitting these tubes were zooming over the, the surface of the planet at, at a very, very high speed. And the cow turned and started moving towards him, looking at him with these strange eyes. Now you, I swear to God, this this happened. This actor came to me the next day in rehearsals. He was not doing well in rehearsals. I didn't know why. And he told me this, and he says, I know it sounds funny, but it wasn't funny. It was scary. 
said, I know I couldn't conceivably have seen an actual cow like that, but I saw it. It wasn't like a dream. It wasn't like I was in a hallucination. It was as real as I'm sitting here looking at you. And the man was shaken. I mean, he was clammy cold with sweat, and his whole body was shaken. And he thought seriously about leaving. He said, things are going on in this country that you can't explain, and I don't, certainly can't explain. And I think maybe I should get out of here. So we... Um, Which actor was this? Well, I'd rather not say, you know, but it was one of the principles. Uh, it was told to me in some confidence. But it happened to another actor, a similar type of vision. Another person came down to work on the film and uh, went, within a period of about six days, went from being totally uh, functional and on the job to being completely mad, and sort of semi-barricaded in his room, suspicious that there was a, a plot between the black magicians and the producers, had to be shipped back to Los Angeles, walked from one plane to the next, got back to Los Angeles, deteriorated for another four days, and woke up on the fifth day totally normal. And just before that began, that process began in Haiti, he had visited a black magician uh, for research and uh, had said casually, I'd love to be initiated into voodoo sometime. And the man looked at him for a moment and said, well, then you will be. Now, we had quite a few incidents like this happen. You know, people that were interviewing going into possession. And one man swung a machete over the head of Wade Davis and it missed by inches, broke on the wall. Wade had to wrestle him to the ground, got bitten through the top of his arm and was deathly ill for four days in, in his bed in the hotel. Um, you know, many, many things like that, plus a great deal of sickness and ultimately a growing social uh, pressure to simply pay everybody. I mean, whole districts were emptied into the areas where we were shooting to the point where we couldn't control it and we were threatened with our lives because everybody wanted to work and if we wouldn't hire them, they thought we were, you know, holding out on them. And uh, we, we ended up surrounded by about 4,000 extras that were picking up stones ready to stone us to death. When, we made our final deal, and the next next day got out. Mm, and went far away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we went across the border into the Dominican Republic, which is no uh, bowl of cherries in itself, but certainly is more organized than, than Haiti. What of your own experiences did you attribute to the film? Did you, did you research voodoo firsthand? Did you get into that? Yes, we did. We, uh, we did three extensive uh, location scoutings throughout Haiti. Uh, we all read a great deal during the, the year prior to producing the film. We uh, read all of the known literature on voodoo. We watched the films of Mara Darren and uh, listened to her recordings of voodoo and ceremonies. We uh, witnessed voodoo ceremonies, uh, both in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti. And we talked to uh, several key voodooan practitioners in Haiti, Max Bouvard being the principal man who was very gracious with his time and, and uh, went over the history of voodoo and, and uh, some of the practices and advised us all along on the uses of ceremony. So that each time we have a ceremony in the film, it is exactly what would be done in, under those conditions. What sort of things terrify you? Well, I, you know, some of the things I put in my films, obviously, uh, is my way of dealing with some of those feelings and thoughts and visions. And, uh, you know, I think, um, I find uh, the arms proliferation the terrifying. You know, I find divorce terrified. <laughs> uh, you know, strange, ordinary things uh, can be very frightening. I find those great too that I find delightful, you know. Did you have a lot of nightmares as a kid when you were growing up? There was a period where uh, my parents were uh, fighting and ultimately they separated where I did have nightmares. And it wasn't 
you know, anything pathological, but I, I will never forget that feeling that you've had a, a terrifying experience that was totally within yourself so that nobody that normally protects you or comforts you can come in and protect you, you know. The parents can't follow you into the dream and stand by your side. So I, I you know, I, I, I never forgot that sense of lying down at night, not wanting to go to sleep and knowing I would have to fall asleep and not knowing where I was going. Uh, and then later in, in college, uh, just for the heck of it, I started writing down my dreams and got very uh, adept at recording them in detail. So that later in my career, um, I've become uh, quite quite good at, at having dreams come into my uh, sleeping that are quite useful for, for scripts, for films. And I'll dream entire scenes and they're very coherent. I can wake up and write them down and they make perfect sense in the waking life. For instance, what give an example of a nightmare that turned into a scene? Well, the structure of uh, The Hills of Eyes, one of my earlier films, uh, with the mirror families and uh, the good and evil represented uh, in the key elements of the two dogs named Beauty and the Beast, and then the two fathers, the two mothers, everybody paralleling each other and at the end sort of crossing over so that the, uh, the violent people became somewhat sympathetic and the sympathetic people became very violent. They came straight out of a dream. I mean, with that analytical viewpoint and uh, certain key scenes. In certain Rainbow, there's a, a scene uh, by the Legba Tree, we call it, where uh, the uh, the one with thousands of candles that uh, involves a snake, uh, which came out of a dream that I had in Haiti. Where the snake comes out of his mouth. Yes. <laughs> so that was a dream. That, that came uh, directly out of a dream. And, uh, you know, structural things. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting how it works, you know, and it's like, it's just your subconscious. It's, some writers might be sitting at a desk and something pops in their head. Quite often with me, it's what I'm dreaming. What was the inspiration for Freddy Krueger, for that character? Well, partially it was based on a man that I saw as a child. Uh, one night I was lying in my bed and I heard shuffling footsteps outside my window. We lived in an apartment in Cleveland. I looked out and there was a disreputable looking old man in a slouch hat like that um, and he stopped and looked up right at the window where I was now, I don't know how he knew I was there because I, I made no sound but he knew I was there and he just stared at me with this really threatening look I was about eight years old and I leaned back into the shadows and just waited with bated breath and I didn't hear his footsteps leaving and I waited and I waited and I finally leaned back and looked out the window and he was still looking at me and then I was like mesmerized and he started moving, still watching me over his shoulder and he moved down the street and crossed, I mean turned the corner towards the entrance to our building. I remember running to our front door and hearing the downstairs door open, this man start the stairs. Um, the way it resolved itself, I just woke up my entire family, you know, and my brother opened the door and made a lot of noise, went down and, and nobody was there. But I'll never forget that, you know, I'll never forget that feeling of a man that sort of slouches out of nowhere and knows you're there. So uh, that, I think that was the basis of Freddy. Mm. Like the sweater was, uh, I wanted something that had a design to it that would be recognizable when it wasn't Freddy. You know, we, we did a lot of things where we cast those colors on the wall certain, during certain dreams you're probably not even aware of, but the, the green and red stripes are in certain dreams. You know, I just uh, pieced it together from there. I understand it's going to be made into a television series. 
right? Yeah. And they're doing a Nightmare on Elm Street television series. I don't know what the premise is. I've not been included in that, so you have to ask me why. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think it is about, um, about this, like, this fascination with the dead and, and, and the ghoulish things that, like, kids just, you know, can't wait to get home and, and, and get together and watch it? Well, I, I think there's an age-old fascination with death, you know, and none of us, it's one of the truly unsolved mysteries, you know. Nobody uh, until until voodoo uh, has crossed that line and come back. Uh, sometimes there's, you know, people that have been near death or seem to have died come back and speak about a white light or a tunnel of light. But by and large, uh, you know, nobody knows what happens. There's, every world religion has a different view about what might or might not happen to the soul, to the spirit, to the person. And so, uh, since it's something that we're all moving towards, and we all know in the back of our minds that inevitably we're going to face that, I think that even at the level of a child, you're fascinated by it. You're fascinated by the, uh, the ultimate, the finality of it. And uh, no, no kidding about it, you know? I mean, ultimately, it brings everybody down, the most powerful and the, and the weakest. What are your fantasies about it? Well, I, in the case of, of what we're talking about in the Serpent Rainbow, again, I think there is a specific toxin, tetrabotoxin, which was discovered by uh, Wade Davis in his research, that does uh, put a person into a, a state of apparent death. And they are, from whatever research we've been able to piece together so far, able to survive in a closed coffin for about 12 hours. And they're not capable of reviving, and if they are dug up in the proper amount of time, will then uh, be quite alive again. Now, in the case of, of creation of a zombie, is what, what we call popularly a zombie, that person is then treated with further drugs, uh, Datura specifically, which is a very violent hallucinogenic. And that is over a period of some weeks, so that by the time that treatment has ended, the person's volitional system, their personality is totally obliterated. But uh, they still are walking around as, quote, the living dead. What, what they really are are people that have been put through a very traumatic poisoning process. And part of that makes them appear to be dead, but they're not really. Now, I'm wondering what kind of imagination you had as a kid. Was it overactive? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know that it was. Uh, I certainly didn't like the attic door to be open when I was in bed. But I think that's kind of typical for kids, you know. Um, I had a brother who loved to tell ghost stories. Maybe he did it to me. I don't know. But uh, I just, I always had an imagination, you know. I always was writing stories or, or drawing pictures or making up little plays and things like that. So I always was sort of a storyteller. So I think the better horror films do provide some roadmaps to getting through the terror part of life as well as through the, the gentler parts of life, the more peaceful parts of life. And you also feel this exhilaration after you after you've experienced a really scary scene. It's like sigh, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, because you came through it and you're alive, you know. And uh, you know, it, it, in a larger sense, it speaks for I think to a kid especially. Well, I got I went through that and survived, and uh, I can go through anything, you know. Which I think is a good positive input to get when you're young. I mean, for instance, what comes to mind is of course the scenes with Bill Pullman where he's screaming and, you know, I mean, I, to, to get, it's almost like you're, you're, when you're acting with a, with a cartoon character, I mean, how do you, how do you make that, you know, real for yourself? Mm -hmm. So what, what, what sort of techniques were you used? Well, first of all, we expose 
Pullman to uh, to Voodoo, and uh, he had some experience of it. So he was not without his uh, subtext. <laughs> you know, I mean, he did uh, he did have some experiences that were very uh, compelling to him from uh, being around some of this. So part of that was based on his research, and then he's just a fine, superb actor, and he was able to bring in. You know, he had a friend who had been uh, schizophrenic, and he brought parts of that in, and uh, he uh, simply got into it. He talked to uh, Voodooan people. He talked to, uh, you know, people who had uh, been possessed. He watched people be possessed, and uh, he got into the whole uh, tremendous expressionism of it all. I mean, he he really just threw himself literally into it. I mean, he did a tremendously physical role. He was worked practically every day was continually falling down or being thrown down or screaming or running or doing something and uh, managed to stay in one piece. <laughs> By the end of the picture, he actually walked away from it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't even imagine what he must have gone through. Yeah. He, he, there, were, there was one scene where both he and I were so sick we could barely sit up straight. And we just looked at each other and said, this is not easy making movies in a third world country. Because uh, there was a great deal of just commonplace sickness, nausea, diarrhea, uh, dizziness, uh, you know, just fevers, people went home with worms, uh, people, there was a lot of falling down, we were working very fatigued and dizzy, many times in cemeteries where uh, in the Dominican Republic especially they don't cut off any of the rebar, the reinforcing rods, so working night scenes, guys carrying stands were continually tripping over these things and falling on them. You know, it was a very, very arduous shoot. Um, we, we really came out of there like a bunch of war veterans, and, and it remained very close afterwards, which is uncommon for a film crew. Usually, they split up and you don't see the people again. We've kept in touch with parties and get-togethers and going out to dinner because we went through such a strange thing together. And I think a lot of it shows on the screen, you know. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> it's like sort of a camaraderie to get together because you're so, um, because you've experienced the same thing. Yeah. Tell me, what, there's sort of like an, an irony in, in you in that these things really scare you, and yet you're able to, you know, deal with it and, and put it across. Well, I, you know, I just think that by being familiar with what's scary, yeah, you, can, you can put it on a screen. If you had no concept of what's fearful or what's, what's, what's frightening, I, it would be hard to imagine what's frightening to other people. You know, you have to do it from first-hand experience. I mean, I find very, very frightening what's going on in the world today with torture. You know, I uh, subscribe to Amnesty International and, and read their literature. It's like hundreds, hundreds of countries, you know, where torture is a routine part of their political system. And really hideous, terrible, terrible things to done to men, to women, to children. Uh, and you can't imagine, but that somehow haunts me. It's in the back of my mind all the time. That's going on in the world. What can I do to stop it? Why is it going on? Yeah. So, you know, Part of Serpent Ray Rainbow addresses that because Haiti was a place of, of torture as well as other things. But that's the sort of thing that frightens me. It's that I was never aware that I was a teller of scary stories. I mean, I've been writing since I've been a kid, but I didn't write scary things. I wrote fantastic things or uh, allegorical things and, and normal, you know, slice of life things, but I didn't write frightening things. And it wasn't until somebody, when I first got into the film business here in New York, I uh, uh, was asked to do a horror film. And I didn't even know what it was, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't seen them, I didn't know what the big ones were. 
And I literally ran around New York seeing whatever horror films I could, and then just sat down and write, uh, wrote uh, Last House on the Left. And uh, I didn't know until I sat down to do it that I could do it in a way that people really were frightening just by reading the script. And uh, it was as surprising to me as it was to other people, because, you know, I, I tend to look like a rather quiet, normal person. Inside, I have these thoughts. You know, it's, it's just something that I can bring to mind and, and, and put down on paper. So what, what, what's in your future plans? Are you going to be writing another screenplay? Yeah, I'll probably sit down and write another screenplay. Is there anything in like the recesses in your mind that, that you'd like to bring forward? Oh, a great deal. A great deal. I'm sure it'll be in my next film. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to do comedy. I'd love to do a, a love story. Uh, in fact, one of the projects that I'm developing is a, is a love story. Uh, it has something rather strange and incredible about it, but it is still, you know, it won't frighten anyone. And uh, we're trying to do that as a television movie. So, you know, that sort of thing. I, I think on the basis of uh, Serpent the Rainbow, I'll be able to expand into a little bit larger audience, a little bit more crossover and adult audience. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much.